If we want to want to make real behavioral change inside of our cultures and inside of our leadership in, in our organizations, we can't just talk about the theory of it and put people in, you know, a boot camp for two days every year. We have to build things inside of our businesses that support that real change and and give people true direction. And especially in like remote and hybrid environments, um, if you're not around people on a day-to-day physically, then it becomes even more crucial to have those types of, um, you know, agreements and operating models that make us look at culture in a slightly different way. Hello and welcome to the Making Better podcast, where we talk about making ourselves, our teams, and our organizations better. My name is Matt Jertson, the founder of Better Everyday Studios, and I promise you that whether you are a business leader, a talent development professional, or an individual contributor, this show will give you actionable insights to help improve your own performance and the performance of those around you. Our guest today is Megan Galloway. Megan is on a mission to make our workplace a more authentic and human place for current and future generations to thrive. She specializes in building award-winning learning programs and communities for teams and fast-growing companies. And Megan's thought leadership has been featured in podcasts, articles, and international conferences. Her LinkedIn-based Coffee Chat community has hosted thousands of participants from six of the seven continents around the world. I had the privilege of meeting Megan recently, so I'm really excited for this discussion. But before we get into it, I just want to say that if this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you subscribe so you never miss a future episode. And if you're already subscribed, then I would ask that you share this show with at least one other person because that, after all, is how we grow. I can't tell you how much it would mean to me. So with that, let's get into the discussion. Megan, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. How are you, Matt? I'm I'm doing fantastic. It's a it's a gorgeous day today. We're on a we're recording on a Friday, so it's nice to do these do these chats at the end of the week. Um, I'm really excited that we got connected on LinkedIn recently because I think you have had a really interesting career in learning and development. In that you have multiple times gotten to kind of build something from scratch, which is something that I don't think a lot of people get to do. You know, a lot of people they come into an organization and there's already this this groundwork that kind of exists. There's all these programs that they're inheriting, and oh, they're always wishing, oh, what what if I could do it a different way? What if I could start from scratch? And you've you've gotten that opportunity. So I think I'd I'd love to start there if you could. Tell us a little bit about what that career journey has been like of building those learning programs from scratch. And then as we get to kind of the end of that, I would love if like when you come into an organization, what is the low hanging fruit that you usually see when you're when you're getting started? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I kind of fell into L&D by accident, really. So uh, after I graduated with my undergraduate degree from the University of Kansas, Um, my degree was in Spanish with a minor in business and I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so good thing you got the minor in business. That was, was yeah, (laughs) I was smart a little bit at that time. Yeah. But, um, it was really great because I ended up landing into HR and I have always been like a people person. Uh, my main driver is helping other people. And so it seemed like a really natural fit. And so I kind of started with a construction company where I was using my Spanish to help hiring folks like into the trades Um, And so I was with this construction company and um, during that time it was coming out of the recession and the company was growing quickly and they realized that they had this strategic need for building training and a leadership development program. And, and some of those pieces that as they were growing, 
they noticed that they they were they needed more than they did previously when they were a much smaller kind of family led organization. Sure, sure. So they um, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, Megan, you've never done this before, but what would you think about growing this training and development program from from scratch? And I learned very quickly. I love building things. I love starting things from from scratch and building something new. And so it was just an absolute treat. I got to kind of do that needs analysis organization wide take a look at where the strategic plan um, was going for the organization over the next several years, and then match the training initiatives and kind of that um, that foundation for the training programs based on those needs. So it was an absolute blast. We built out those learning and development programs for several years while I was there. And then, um, yeah, at that organization, actually, we were ranked as number 19 training organization in the world, number twenty was IBM, so it was a super fun kind of uh, uh, ceremony in Washington D.C. where we got to accept that award, and we were this tiny little construction company uh, at number That's nineteen. Awesome. So it was it was a really fun experience. That's awesome. I want to focus on something you said there because I, I would imagine a lot of getting to number nineteen, getting getting that ranking, had to do with something that you said where, as you were building, you matched what you were building. The first thing you did is match it with kind of the strategic initiatives and direction of the organization, which I think is such an important piece in all this and something that often gets missed. How did you make sure that, you know, when you were tasked with learning, did did it seem obvious to you? Oh, I need to match the learning programs with what we're trying to achieve. How, How did that whole process happen? How did you make sure that what you were building mapped to what the company needed as it grew? Yeah. I mean, I think one of my core philosophies is that whatever you're building should be for the people that you're building it for. So it's not just like, I have good ideas and I think we should do these things. And so a lot of it was like talking to the people that were in the day-to-day of the business and Mm -hmm. all the way from frontline workers, all the way up to the executives to say, what are you seeing are are the biggest needs right now um, that we need to be fixing inside of our organization? And also where can we get proactive? And that's when it started to bleed into, okay, as we're doing strategic planning, we're noticing that these are like major things that we already know we're taking the business in these areas. Now, how can we support with the initiatives that we have in our learning and development programs so that they just dovetail along with those really well and give people real support and resources needed with the change management that we already know we're going to be doing to grow strategically in the next several years. So that's kind of where that came from. And I think it served us really well because it was like people were asking us for the things that we were already ready to deliver. And so it felt yep. like we were we were on pace with what people were wanting and needing. And so it wasn't as much trying to get people to like buy into the idea of like, oh, you have to go to this training. It was like, I wish I had training on this. And we were like, perfect. We've been working on there that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's fantastic. It's great when you can get ahead like that. Did did you have to how much was saying no a part of that? Because I'm I'm guessing, and maybe this wasn't true. Maybe you you know it was a growing organization that was had been existing for a long time. But I think a lot of people, what they find is, at least what I've found in my career, is sometimes there's disconnects between what um, whether it's people on the ground think is needed versus what the executive team is needed, or it's today's need versus tomorrow's need. How, did you have to do any kind of stakeholder management to stay focused so that you weren't, you know, going after the training issue of the day and instead fo- staying focused on the strategic stuff so that when real needs arose, you were in front of it rather than behind it because you were just like fighting fires all the time? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's where my HR background came in handy because the reality is a lot of the time when people are coming to you and saying, I need training for this thing, 90% of the time they don't actually need training. What they need is to have like a performance conversation or they need to reallocate resources or they need to be structuring things in a different way or have a crucial conversation. Like there's so many different things that I think that we use training as like a Band-Aid for these issues. And so that's where I had close partnerships in all the organizations that I worked with, with the people operations teams. And it it was frequently like, all right, maybe this is an issue that needs to be dealt with with training the more likely solution was that it was it was solved with coaching um, the manager that was coming to me for things or was looking at it from a more holistic perspective and saying, all right, I, we're hearing the same thing over and over again from multiple departments. Now that's indicating to us that this is a more widespread problem that we now need, yeah. need to think about like how what development is needed for this specific area. So I really did it more based on trends versus like individual needs, if that makes mm. That that totally makes sense. I think at one point in time, I, I kind of made a little flow chart of the common reasons why a training issue wasn't a training issue. And one of the, I think the first question on it was exactly that of like, how many people are experiencing this problem? Hmm. You know, and if it's, if it's one or two people, then it's not a training issue. It's like a performance management issue. So hmm. that, that trends piece really makes a lot of sense on, on that idea of trends. Since, since you then, you know, you did this at a couple companies, are there trends that you saw when standing up training for the first time in, when you're looking at these different companies, did you find yourself kind of starting at a similar place everywhere or creating similar programs off the bat that everyone needed? Yes. Leadership development. Like that was always the biggest, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of where I've taken my path uh, over time here. Because So I've done this at three different organizations, um, being internal with them. And then I've consulted with, you know, a lot of different organizations after that, um, 30 plus in the last few years. And I think that the thing that I noticed the most is that people think that they need more technical training. And not that hmm. they don't need that. Like I do think that there, it is important to get those resources to folks if they don't have those. So building an infrastructure so that it's easy to scale those is important. But I don't think that L&D needs to be the only one delivering those technical resources. I think that yeah. L&D is like an enabler because there's so much knowledge internally already around these topics that L&D needs to help other people share their knowledge and or find external knowledge to bring in if it's missing um, once you've done that gap analysis. But those side of things are like your quick and easy wins to get people to see, oh, wow, L&D knows what they're doing here and they know how to help us fix our problems. And so frequently I would start with like a small technical project first or onboarding or something that people could see tangible results from quickly. And then, yeah, and then it was almost always then, okay, our managers have never had resources to learn how to be actual managers. Can you help us with that? So then it frequently moved into the leadership development space. Yeah, that make that makes a lot of sense. I love that you highlighted that idea of like, you know, getting that quick win, having something relatively small so you can show. Because I think that's the other thing that can often derail, um, whether it's you're starting a new team or you're coming in as a new leader in L and D in an existing organization. Is you start by trying to bite off too big a chunk and it's three months in, it's six months in, you haven't even really delivered anything yet. Um, and that can get, yeah, that can raise a lot of questions for sure. When, when, how did you think, go about developing manager training? Did you primarily, you know, bring 
people from outside, bring in outside experts? Did you bake something that was like kind of native to the culture? Where, where were you starting with that? Because leadership, even though you're saying, you know, we start with leadership training, that can be, that can mean a lot of things. Yeah, it can. And I am a huge believer that off-the-shelf leadership development does not work. I think yes. that I think that it's a great, I think it's great for learning theory. But theory is really hard to apply in a day-to-day job when like so many working managers are in a coach player model. So not only are they leading a team, but they also have a tremendous amount of responsibility on their plate from a technical perspective as well. And so when you share theories with people, I do think that it's important that they learn them, but I do think that it's hard for them then to go take that back and find real places to make application in their day-to-day jobs. And that is so organization specific. So I have a really big belief that each leadership development program inside of an organization should be closely matched with their values. I think that there needs to be executive alignment and true behavioral alignment to those values, which is a huge gap that frequently yeah. occurs inside of organizations. So that's like a really huge starting point is if if there are people on the executive leadership team that are not practicing what you're going to be preaching in your leadership development programs, then that has to be solved before you can tackle anything else inside of your organization with, with manager training. Yeah. And then it goes down to, okay, so we have real skills that need to be developed. Like how do you have a one-on-one with someone? Um, the amount of people that have never had great one-on-ones is – like even in some of the companies I worked with, they never had one-on-ones period before. So it's yeah. like, okay, so how do we, how do you have a one-on-one? So it's it's not as much about let's let's take you to a training about this like topic about how to have conversations. It's more, okay, here's a template for you to utilize in your one-on-one. And here's some of the things that you should be trying. Go give it a shot. Uh, to me, that, yep. that's so much more successful than just talking about the theory. Yeah, I, I'm, I think... If it's okay with you, I'm going to have to take your whole answer to that and turn it into a commercial because you just <laughs> summarized my whole thesis for Better Everyday Studios. <laughs> of the, the, the importance of, of one, customization, of that it needs to be real to the organization. It needs to be native to the organization. Like they, It needs to be from their, like you said, the, their like core values. Um, and it needs to focus on those actual behaviors, the actual things that you're going to be doing. Um, yeah. Cause so much can get lost in that. Um, so much can get lost without that. If you don't, if you're just talking, as you said, kind of, kind of theory based, um, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for that. When, and did you learn, so you spent a bunch of time building in, you know, construction and banking and some more established companies, then you moved into kind of more of a startup role. Uh, how was that transition and did, did your view of kind of what was required in organizations evolve at all during that transition? Drastically. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, the first thing that was just hardest for me personally is I am a type A high achiever, recovering perfectionist who wants to do a really phenomenal job in every single role I've had. So like if I wasn't getting exceeding expectations on performance reviews, I was like devastated And when I launched into entrepreneurship and then quickly after joined a startup, um, that was my biggest personal challenge was that there is no right or wrong in a lot of that world. And there's no possible way to be perfect. Like failing is just part of the journey, but it was a very challenging part for me personally. But, um, you know, I, 
I really appreciated my time in startup world because I led almost every single function of the business during my time uh, with the startup that I worked at. So started in sales and marketing and did a lot of the growth efforts and then transitioned into more of like the customer success operations, managing the book of business, consulting directly with clients, doing renewals, doing expansions, um, doing operations. That is not my forte. You do not <laughs> want to hire me to do your financial statements. <laughs> um I and then and then got into the world of like product and what it was looking like inside of the business and super appreciative for the lessons that I learned from so many great people that I got to work with inside of that organization. But the thing that it taught me, I think, that was so different is when I was in L&D, like four organizations, as all of us do, I think I believed my job was just so critically important to the organization. <laughs> and I think that it was, so I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't. But then once I got this outside perspective of being inside of so many other functions of the business... I witnessed firsthand why L&D professionals have such trouble getting buy-in on their learning mm. and development initiatives. Because once you get into the day-to-day -day job of having outside deliverables that have nothing to do with learning and development, yep. your brain does something different. It's like, I don't need to make space and time for development. I just need to get my stuff done. And um, you know, thinking about how I make these things better, it like it becomes you get into a reactive place when you're overloaded with technical tasks that just need to get done. And I was an executive, I was managing a team of people as well. And so I felt firsthand that push and pull of a never ending to-do list, working 80 hours a week, plus managing a team of people. And so I kind of feel like I developed so much more empathy for why mm. some of the supporting functions like HR, L&D, um, even accounting for that matter, like inside of organizations, mm -hmm. like those support functions, why they struggle to get buy-in inside of the organization, but also why those those parts and operations and sales should have so much more like appreciation and and like be so much more open to the value that L and D and those support functions do provide. But you feel like you're on separate islands, and I don't know how to say it outside yeah. of that. So it kind of like I got a taste of both, I guess, is a good way to say that. It's it's such a great point, and I do think it's it's really important for, and I, I love that you gave it, you know, kind of that big picture of all the support functions. It's so important for any support function folks to get those experiences. I think in the rest of the business, and mm -hmm. I think the last time we chatted, I mentioned my um, my like metaphor for the foundation of a house. Um, and using that to describe it. And I think I didn't mention this part because the other thing I think about is, you know, whenever you're coming up with talking about some kind of change initiative, whether it's learning, HR, whatever it is, it really is exactly like fixing the foundation of a house where it's really expensive, it's really noisy, causes tons of disruption. And if everything goes well at the end of the day, everything looks the same. Hmm. Right. Like that, because that's always our goal. Our goal, like we are trying to make improvements, but they're not the kind of improvements that like somebody's necessarily going to see day to day. You have to like step back big picture and realize, oh, my house isn't going to fall down now. Well, did you really think it was like you, you probably hadn't fully realized that it was in danger of falling down to begin with? And I think, you know, a successful learning initiative, you know, in, in leadership or something, the result is going to be you know, over the long term, you have a 50% reduction in attrition or, you know, or a 15% increase in productivity. And 
those are just hard things, like you said, when you're in the role day to day with all these fires, all these to-dos, you're working eight hours a week, it's really hard to even notice that kind of change. Um, so I do think it's it's critical that you have that understanding. When after post that, as you got that understanding, what did that do to did that do anything or has it done anything to kind of change your approach or change the way you think about approaching the business? with these kind of support initiatives, it sounds like you were already kind of talking, trying to talk in the business language of talking about figuring out those learning initiatives. But did any of that, has any of that language or the way you approach people out in the business changed as a result of having those experiences? Yeah, I think it's drastically changing the relaunch of my business in all honesty, because I think that traditional leadership development firms approach it from the perspective that they have to like launch these large initiatives, they're doing things to people in the business. And so what I think is drastically missing is the ability to work with people in the business to help reinforce real human skill development throughout their day-to-day jobs. So it's not about like pulling everyone out of their jobs for a whole day to be able to learn these skills that then they're supposed to go try to like transfer back somehow into into their day jobs. It's more about, okay, what are the real things that we can do inside of team meetings, other interactions, the places where we're meeting, the Slack communities that we have internally, our one-on-ones, the ways that people talk to each other and the the languages that they use. Like, So that's a large part of where I'm going next is I am launching a culture strategy agency that's going to help organizations really define their culture operating manual that goes inside of their businesses not necessarily to just pull people out for training, but to give that kind of like development inside of people's day-to-days by helping them just actually do it and try things and experiment with the ways in which mm. they want to grow. Because that's how we all learn best anyway, right? Like that's mm-hmm. one of the other things I learned from startup land is I learned so much more, like even the difference between getting an MBA, which I went to a, a phenomenal school, University of Colorado for my MBA, learned a ton and was there for two years. And then I was in a startup for two years and I learned yeah. like 18,000 times more in the startup environment because it's practical knowledge, right? Like you're doing it, you're forced to figure things out and you're making mistakes and it impacts you intellectually and emotionally in a different way when you're making mistakes and wanting to make changes in your life. And so that's what triggers true behavioral change. So if we want to want to make real behavioral change inside of our cultures and inside of our leadership in, in our organizations... We can't just talk about the theory of it and put people in, you know, a boot camp for two days every year. Yeah. We have to build things inside of our businesses that support that real change and and give people true direction. And especially in like remote and hybrid environments, um, if you're not around people on a day to day physically, then it becomes even more crucial to have those types of, um, you know, agreements and operating models that make us look at culture in a slightly different way. Yeah, absolutely. So getting, I mean, I know you're just, you're just relaunching this, you're just getting started, but I don't know, let's get practical with what you just said. Like, so how are you seeing the actual interventions being different? Like, what are you, I mean, obviously you said we're not doing, you know, we're not taking people away for the week and putting them through a boot camp or anything like that. But when you say day to day, when you say like getting in the business and applying it practically in the workplace, that can that can still mean a lot of different things. And, I, and I'm sure people who are coming from a traditional L&D background, it can almost be difficult to imagine what that might look like. So how are you seeing yourself and your company 
actually working with organizations to make these programs differently? Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of thinking about this as I'm like relaunching. <laughs> there's four parts. <laughs> but the yeah, first great. part is I I believe that there are so many organizations that put so much of their time, energy, and resources into defining an external brand for their organization. Like who do we, who do we yeah. want the world to see us as? And many times, even though a company is growing and booming and looks amazing, their glass door reviews are extremely poor. And what they have yeah. is their internal brand does not match their external brand. So okay. I, the first thing is doing analysis on why are those two things different? Because at the end of the day, the people that are actually talking to your customers are the people inside of your company, your team members. So like mm -hmm. those are the people that are going to be your best brand advocates and representatives and the referrals for your organization. So getting those things to match, at least in theory, is important to like get started with. So that's the first thing that we're going to be doing is analysis on that brand mapping. The second yep. thing then is executive alignment to that. So I think like so many organizations spend days planning their strategic doing their strategic planning for what's going to happen inside of their business and what they're going to be doing. I know very few companies that spend time doing culture strategic planning. Like not just mm -hmm. how do or what do we want to be doing, but how do we want to do this in the next year yeah. to best match the people and to get proactive about who we want to be as a company. So then once you know like what that looks like, the third thing is that executive alignment, which is the people on your executive team have to be practicing those things. And with most organizations I see, that is not the case. And so then mm -hmm. what happens is trust breaks down throughout the organization. Organizations get siloed as a result. They have trouble getting consistency across communication. So there's a lot of like rework and things like that. So um, giving that executive team support to practice what they preach is really important through sessions for them to talk through things, through one-on-one -on -one executive coaching, that type of thing. That's number three. And then the last thing is then, now that you have those things all aligned and the actual business leadership is aligned around the things that they they want to be doing for a culture, now we look at how we integrate that throughout the business. So in my mind, that looks like saying, okay, how do we talk about conflict inside of our companies? Like, is it important that we bring up conflict? If a team member brings feedback to their manager, how do we expect managers respond? So maybe that's a conversation starter guide for an employee to be able to bring up something challenging to their manager. Mm -hmm. And maybe that also gives managers like response options or ideas. Like it's not like a script, right? But it's like when someone comes to you with hard feedback as an employee, how do you how do we expect that you respond to that um, as a as a leader? So here's some ideas for the ways in which we expect our values to show out in real life around these things. And then more than that, like inside of their meetings, like let's say team meetings now, you build in five minutes for upward feedback or you know some sort of a retro so that that becomes common for people to be able yeah. to have space to voice concerns, questions, thoughts, ideas. And it's not just always like the loudest people in the room that are getting the voices because they're the ones that are brave enough to like speak up. So we're creating yep. more equality around the ability to be able to speak up and give feedback in those environments. So, um, you know, doing the same thing for one-on-ones, but it's like actually changing the DNA of how we do things with specific expectations, templates, operating models inside of the business. And the, the thing that I believe most about this is that L&D cannot be the person to deploy these things. I think that mm. you have to get executives to be the ones to deploy these initiatives, which they are sure. so busy. The expectation is not that they're making all of these things, 
but they yeah. have to be practicing them, it themselves, and then they have to be the actual implementers of these yep. uh, of these initiatives for it to be successful. That makes a lot of sense, and you know, I think I've seen in a lot of places basically talk about if you, if you want to know what a company's culture is, just look at why they hire, promote, and terminate people. Right, like that's long term. Whatever you write down, long term, that's going to be your culture. And so, if you have once you do all the work that 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 those I love that it was of the four stages. It wasn't until stage four that you're out in the business doing stuff. You know, it really shows the importance of that alignment, which I totally agree with. And then once you get that alignment, if all of the executives do nothing but start having you know, ending every meeting with five minutes of upward feedback time, eventually the level below them is just going to start doing that. And then the level below them is just going to start doing that. And it will not because that's setting the tone of, oh, this is a thing that causes us to hire and promote people. And so then people just start doing it and there's no big change initiative. There's no big announcement. There's no, it just, it's just going to happen. It's a, it makes a lot of, as someone who has tried in organizations to do the reverse of kind of create culture from the bottom up and known how, seen how, how that goes. Uh, it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Well, and I think that when you do it that way, like when you approach like middle managers first or frontline managers first, they just get even more frustrated because then they're taught yeah. best practices yes. And then they see the people that are in le- like levels above them in an organization not practicing those things, and yeah. they just become more disengaged because they're like, wait a second, I, I don't see people in our company actually doing these things, but I'm supposed to do them? This feels like um, just a lot of hypocrisy. And I, I think that creates a lot of – like even though it's the right thing to do, we want to give these people these resources, it has yeah. to come from both directions. It can't just come from the bottom up. I can already hear, I, I completely agree with you, and I can already hear a bunch of talent development professionals saying, that sounds great, Megan, but I can't talk to my executives, or I can't get the directors to do this stuff, or whatever whatever it is. You know, all my remit is to, I can talk to the frontline managers, and they want to do stuff, and they they I see the frustration, but how do I... What advice would you have for those professionals out there of how to start getting buy-in or how to start approaching executives if they if they can't have those conversations currently? I mean, I think that one of the biggest things, in my opinion, is those relationships are absolutely critical to deploying any sort of change initiatives. Because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times... When we're thinking, when we're looking at our organizations at change initiatives and like we get an order to do something inside of our, inside of like the L&D team, the the decisions have been made in a room that we're not in and we may not always agree completely with what even is being done. And where I've been most successful inside of organizations have been places where I've been brave enough to walk into even the CEO's office and say, can I give you some feedback about what I'm thinking Mm. on some of these things? And it was really hard to do that. Like it takes a lot of courage and bravery because there are potential consequences to getting brave enough to walk into someone in the C-suite's office to talk to them about these things. But I think that that is one thing that happens a lot of the times is like orders come down throughout the organization and we just feel frustrated with them, but then we don't actually do anything about them because we think that we can't 
But in reality, like I think that we see so much more inside of our organizations from those support level functions because we're interacting with everyone inside of the organization. So we do have a more holistic view on the business and the strategy of some, where some of those things are going. And uh, what I would always say is you don't, you don't have to take my ideas and and go implement them, but I just want to be heard. Like just kind of hear them yeah. and see yeah. if any of them make any sense. And then, you know, I can keep going about the way I was doing things. But I think that the biggest like lesson that I learned through doing that is when I had a true business case associated with, with that thing, like, hey, this department is really suffering and their engagement st- scores stink. And here's what I think is going on in that group. And here's what I think I here's what I think we should be doing about that. If I had all of those things already lined out and took that into an executive, a lot of the time they were like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I've already been worrying about this, but wasn't sure what to do about it. And so Mm. I think that a lot of the times it really does just start with like having those conversations. And, um, you know, maybe that means just starting with like the chief people officer that you report into or the COO, if you report in through that area. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it talks, I think that's one of the biggest things is, Think about like what are the true business functions and results being affected by the challenges that we're seeing. We know they exist. They are hard to measure. But I do think that there are frequently more things associated. Like, for example, I think that you could associate really like a bad team environment and a customer success team directly to customer churn. Because if those people are grumpy all the time Mm. and they get on calls and they're grumpy with people on the phone, (laughs) then I think that that like that does change the ways that our businesses retains revenue over time. Right. Sure. And so it, we might not be seeing the immediate impacts of it, but I do think that's there. And so it's like, what experiment could we run in this space to see if we can increase NRR by um, changing things inside of this team that's got really poor engagement or that doesn't feel like they have the right resources or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So if I, step back and kind of think about all the things that you've said throughout this. It sounds like when it comes to building those relationships with key stakeholders and executives, it start, you know, it kind of comes down to three things that you've mentioned or from what I've heard. It starts with, you said early, one of the first things you said is quick wins, which I think translates to being seen as someone who can get things done. Like first you have to be able to deliver things in the business. Then you have to have the courage to have these conversations, and then you have to have the ability to have the conversations in the language that the person you're talking to cares about. And if you can do those three things, that's how you start to build those those relationships up. Yeah, Does that sound right. Yeah, I think you I think you got it spot on, because that's what our jobs are here for in L and D is to make work better for everybody inside of the company, and so. Um, even though there are so many great best practices out there, every company is different. And um, the the best way to figure out the, be- the the ways to help people, I think, is just through talking to people inside the business that have ideas about how to how to fix things inside the company, but just don't have the time or resources to be able to do it themselves. Like that's where the biggest quick wins come from, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Amazing. This is this has been great. Um, I want to. Bring us to a close with three questions that I ask every guest. The first one is, what is one book or podcast that everyone should listen to and why or read? The one that's top of mind for me right now is a book that I actually listened to on Audible, um, narrated by the author called Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Guadara. It is all about this restaurateur 
um, who is set out to make the number one restaurant in the world, but he's doing it not just because their food is the greatest, but because they're creating the most, the best experience. And to do that, he has to build an incredible team inside of his restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so his leadership um, recommendations are truly a treat to read through, but it's, it's a great example of where you don't, you don't have to be, um, you can be in so many different industries and implement so many different leadership development philosophies in different ways. That makes a huge difference on the actual business results that you're getting. That, that makes sense. It's, it, I love that you mentioned that. That book is actually sitting on my bookshelf, unread right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to make sure to give it a try now. That's that's a great recommendation. Hit me up after you Excellent. read it. I want to know what you think. I will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having been spent a little bit of time in the restaurant industry, sort of, in the, in the, in the, in the food industry, um, yeah, I'm really interested to, to read it. Okay. Now, for you personally, when you look back on your life and the amazing career that you've had, what is the one skill that's most helped you be successful? I think the the answer that I would say for this one is adaptability. Um, I think that one of the things that I've noticed about myself recently, I've gone through a lot of changes in the last two years, having left corporate life and becoming an entrepreneur, joining a startup. And sometimes people will say to me, like, you've just changed so much in the last couple of years. And sometimes that kind of like triggers me and I'm like, well, I was great before, wasn't I? Like, why why, why do people like me so much more now? But then I think, no, I like me. I like me more too. Like I, <laughs> it's interesting how much things will change if you let them. And change is such, change is the only constant in our lives anyway, right? Like things are always changing around yep. us. And I'm a control enthusiast. So I always had this like belief that I had to like control uh, the things in my life and be on the corporate ladder and like climb to higher rungs and do things in a way that like we're by the book to be able to be successful. And the more that I've kind of like thrown all of that into the wind a bit and embraced change and embraced the idea that I'm forever growing and not perfect at anything, the the more that I find mm. that I like myself and I, that I'm finding that I'm more fulfilled in my life too. That's awesome. I love I love that. That's a great one. Okay. And then finally, I guess I'm guessing we've touched on the answer to this a couple of times in this podcast already, um, but you've worked with a lot of organizations. What is the most common opportunity you see for organizations to improve their talent development function? I'm actually going to like come out of left field here just a little bit. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> I think that so many talent development teams are all already doing incredible work. So I think that they should get closer to the business. And I also think that they should be really thoughtful about how they're sharing metrics around ROI on the things that they're already doing. Um, One of the best things that I feel like I've implemented previously is having like a quarterly report that I would share with executives about the things that were being done and the tangible metrics that were happening as a result of them. And a lot of times that was looking at things that are are already being measured in the business. So looking at things that are already related you can do things from HR, like engagement scores, time to promotion, um, retention, those types of things. And then also like inside of each individual department, they're already measuring things too. So how can you tie the initiatives that you're doing to those things and just be more intentional about those metrics? Because I think that's part of what really legitimate, makes it more legitimate is what I'm trying to say. And then then also – I think continues to get that buy-in from from the folks throughout an organization. 
That's such an important point because I think when people hear, most people when they hear, hey, we're going to do a quarterly roundup of learning metrics, they're thinking utilization, time spent learning, number of completions, and nobody cares <laughs> about it. And if you want to know what metrics to use, look at the metrics of the business. They're already, chances are, as exactly as you said, they're already measuring something and they're measuring it because they think it matters. And so the hard part is drawing, the hard part isn't figuring out what to measure. The hard part is drawing that connection yeah. between what we're doing and what they're doing. Um, such an important point. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Megan. I know you, so you're just, you know, restanding up your business. You're getting out there. People like, you know, listen to you. I'm sure there's lots of people that are like, that, that sounds interesting. That I'd really love to learn more about that. How can people learn more? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I post pretty regularly about all of these things there. And uh, also you can find me on my website, everleaderconsulting.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that everybody can easily find it. This has been great, Megan. I'm so glad we got connected super quickly. So glad you were able to come on the podcast. I got a lot out of this discussion, so I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun.